WKNC 88.1. This is Grant Golden, and you guys are listening to Carolina Grown. I am in the studio right now with Mipso uh, out of Chapel Hill. These guys have their album release show coming up at Hall River Ballroom. That is going to be tonight for all of you listeners. Uh, right now, we are pre-recording this in the studio because um, I am going to be at Mountain Oasis this weekend uh, doing some coverage. But really, really excited to have these guys with me in here. Uh, they just put out a Dark Holler Pop, and it is awesome. It is very, very, very good. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, these guys have been Shikori staples for me for the past few years at this point. So really excited to have you guys in the studio. Thanks for having us. We're Thank happy you. to be here. Glad to be here. So um, did you guys all meet on campus at Chapel Hill and come together? Yeah, this is Jacob. Actually, Joseph and I met on a college visit when we were high school seniors. We're all from different parts of North Carolina. I'm from Morganton. I'm from High Point. I'm from Greensboro. And Joseph and I happened to be there on the same weekend and had our instruments with us and played a couple songs and then went our separate ways really for two years. We both took alternating years off of school but kept in touch musically. And in the meantime, Joe and, and Wood met each other. Yeah, it's a part of sort of Mipso lore here that Wood and I first played together in a funk cover band called Funkasaurus Rex. Nice. Which really I like to think if it had stayed together would be would be a, a huge name by now, but unfortunately we only played a few shows and then we moved to acoustic music. So I was I was actually ironically enough getting ready to ask what kind of music you guys were playing before you got with Mipso. So uh what were you guys in any other types of bands other than Funkasaurus Rex? Yeah, I was uh this is Wood. I was and I, I was uh, heavily involved in the Carolina jazz program. For all four years, I took lessons and was involved in big band and jazz combos um, and then did a few other kind of side projects on the side as well. Yeah, and I would say we, we all kind of dabbled in different things before we got serious about making acoustic, acoustic music. Um, I grew up with my family playing some bluegrass, so I was always around it. And some of my uncles in particular are really accomplished bluegrass musicians, but I was much more interested in playing uh, jam band stuff and uh, classic rock and then actually when I took a year off of school, I studied tango guitar for a while. And it wasn't until I kind of came back to school and was, and was um, living in North Carolina again that I uh, really started taking bluegrass more seriously. So we dabbled in lots of stuff before we got to be the MIPSO that we are today. What were you involved with? Well, this is Jacob. I was listening to a lot of music but wasn't playing a ton really before MIPSO. In high school, for my senior project, I did a, recorded a solo project, and that was Kind of my entry into music was studying some of the great songwriters and getting more interested in, in writing songs and performing. Uh, but via Mipso, found a happy medium of both. Right, so it seems like uh, you've had a good bit of influence uh, from a lot of different areas for you guys, but what uh, what really drove you to the kind of bluegrass folk-driven sound? Well, like I said, it's... It, it's not something that I discovered as an adult, but something that you know I, I was aware of in the cradle. This is Joseph on guitar, by the way. These three-person interviews can be tricky. <laughs> um, but um, it took me a lot of uh, traveling around and trying different types of music and just uh, letting my interests run wild before I got really inter interested in the fact that, that this type of acoustic music, and not, not bluegrass specifically, but um, bluegrass and other types of North Carolina-rooted music, I got interested in them as... as pieces of my state's history and pieces of my family's history. So for me, starting to take bluegrass more seriously and focusing in on that was a sort of personal process of uh, feeling rooted in North Carolina, um, happening about the same time that I met these guys. And as it happened, uh, we, were, we were all sort of thinking about 
um, acoustic music, though would acoustically through the jazz world on acoustic bass, which he had switched to from electric bass. And then when we started writing them together was when we kind of started forming our own sound, which has these influences all wrapped up together. Right, and that's the thing that I've noticed about you guys, especially on uh, Dark Holler Pop a lot. Um, I know since you guys recorded with Andrew from Mandolin Orange, which we're going to get into in a little bit, um, you can feel a lot of the bluegrass influence. You can feel a lot of the folk influence. And it seems like it's kind of, it's sort of paralleling this sort of, the term that I've heard a lot is the Mumfordization of American music, <laughs> the kind of like popularized sort of bluegrass style. Um, how do you guys feel about uh, the state that the genre is in, you know, like with this intersection of pop culture, um, the IBMA just came to Raleigh, of course, and it's flourishing into something that's raised millions of dollars for the city. Um, where do you guys think you fit in within this and how do you feel about the evolution of this? Well, you're totally right that there's this wave of kind of the modern folk movement uh, that's taking pieces from probably further afield than it did in, in years past, but it all fits into a really rich history in North Carolina of a couple different types of music, bluegrass definitely being one of them. I think North Carolina is unique from some of the other bluegrass-rich states in that it has always had a pretty broad outlook on it. And so this, Joe's uncle is a great banjo player and has been for a while, and he made the good point to us that this isn't anything new, just people are kind of listening to it in a little different way right now. Definitely. So it, I think we're definitely part of this of this movement and this this time, and especially North Carolina music, but across the country and in the world too. And we, you know, we're lucky that there's bands like Mumford and the Avits and even the Lumineers who use similar tools to make something different and make it in a more approachable way than maybe it was in years past or at least it's getting the attention and marketing that makes it easy to approach and that's great for a band like us because a lot of venues doors and opportunities to be on the radio are uh, made because of their success Definitely. and regardless of how closely we are following behind them or alongside of them we we all benefit from a kind of the collective movement but we i think like to think that we're a little more of a modern string band than a pop string band and we are happy to have pop influences and uh, happy to recognize how we are similar in a lot of ways to the bands that you mentioned, but think that we're probably sticking a little closer to the roots than right now, at least, than, than some of those bands are. Definitely. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see the way that people's surroundings can shape the music that, makes, that they make uh, after they've grown up. Um, what, what sort of effect can you see from North Carolina surroundings and like musical history? Because like we were talking about, you know, even with just bluegrass, uh, North Carolina has so many iconic musicians, and even outside of bluegrass, you know, like as Wood was talking with jazz, you know, some of some of the greatest jazz players have come from North Carolina, even if they weren't staying in North Carolina throughout their lifetime. Um, how do you think that the surrounding has influenced the music that you're making? Well, I would give an example by saying I'm going to see Ralph Stanley play tonight, who is uh, one of the greats, one of the Stanley brothers. Um, and one of my first concerts was seeing uh, Seldom Seen in High Point and seeing Sam Bush play in uh, Greensboro. And so personally, I've been surrounded by this kind of music in North Carolina, that the hotbed of acoustic music that it is. Um, beyond the people who pass through, I think that uh, we're aware of the fact that the roots of the genre itself are here. Going back to Doc Watson and going back to when the Monroe brothers, um, Bill and Charlie Monroe, lived in Raleigh. And so it's, it's more than just uh, that people here are more aware of it. It really is a... Uh, geographically rooted here. So that's, that's something that we take seriously and uh, 
um, take as sort of part of part of our job is is to take that seriously and connect what we do to that. And we enjoy doing that. And you're right in bringing up IVMA that that's an awesome recent recognition of just how firmly rooted uh, North Carolina and Central North Carolina are to bluegrass music. But beyond bluegrass, or maybe because of bluegrass, there's also something that we're really aware of locally. Um, how much talent there is right now. So it's not just a legacy, it's the present and the future. When you look to bands like Chatham County Line and Mandolin Orange, uh, Steep Canyon Rangers, Definitely. Town Mountain, all good buddies of ours who we feel really lucky to have been able to watch flourish before us and to have learned a lot from how they make music and and beyond it, that they make it in such a supportive community. And that's one of the things that we're happiest about uh, this transition from college to full-time student or to full-time musicians is that we're still living in Carborough place that we have come to to love um, and to come to love living and learning there and we're surrounded by our local heroes who are making huge I think marks on the national scene but are so happily rooted and so proud of of the little community we have definitely and you know even talking you know mandolin orange started getting a lot of promotion from even like CMT yeah this side of Jordan um the Avid brothers of course like heralded almost like a new style of bluegrass for a lot of people around here um, it's it's really cool to see a lot of this, like you guys were talking about, the like contemporaries of this genre doing so much when the state has such a rich history. It's just awesome to see it, and it's like the way that you see the genre evolving, I'm also kind of seeing you guys are kind of almost adopting more of your traditional roots with some of this new music. Um, how have you guys seen your music evolve throughout the years, and how has the songwriting changed? Well, it took us a while to figure out what our sound was or what it could be. And um, at first that was just because we were young musicians and a, a young band. And so I think we've grown and matured individually and collectively as, um, as a group. And so that certainly has helped change. But there's also, especially with Dark Collar Pop, you learn so much in the studio about the music you're writing and how to flesh it out or see it in a different way. And especially when you're working with someone like Andrew at the, at the helm being producer and he was the engineer as well, who brings so much experience and knowledge and talent to that role. It was, it was an easy. It it became it becomes easier to take a step back and, and to realize what it is you have and what you could have and how you can be mixing it up. Like Jacob was saying, we basically we've gotten a lot better at what we do, and um, we, we're working with similar ingredients. And you could say we're working with kind of a, a similar formula of the types of things we're combining. But uh, for one example, when we started out, you know, we, en we enjoyed bluegrass, but I don't think knew a lot about this one genre we were drawing from. And I spent a summer when I was still in school uh, studying bluegrass guitar and taking lessons every day and practicing all the time. And uh, I think that shows on the new album for, from all of us that, you know, it takes a lot of knowledge about a genre to be able to draw from that, you know, response, responsibly and respectfully and in a tasteful way. And so we're, 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 we're drawing from those things probably in a more uh, skillful and interesting way than we were before. And too, with more experience, I think we've learned how to draw from it intentionally and, and to draw pieces that we like and, and to leave some of the pieces behind. So that's been one thing that's changed. But for songwriting, uh, you know, we've gotten so much closer over the past two years that now we still have moments like we did early on where a song is almost wholly started from one person's experience or perspective and then fleshed out through the group. But I think one of the biggest things that's changed now is we know each other so well that we write to each other. So if one of us is individually writing a song, we're writing it with the other people's comments already right. in our head. It's like we know what the feedback's going to be, so you might as well just kind of write more towards that center line. But we do a lot of collective writing, and um, even if it isn't collective, none of these songs would be what they are without the full 
uh, Mipso look, and, and there are, each individual's fingerprints are, are all over them. Definitely, and you can hear that so much on Dark Holler Pop because it sounds like there's so many different voices on it. While there are physically a whole <laughs> lot of different voices on it, but you can also hear like each a bunch of the different songs you can kind of group together to be like, okay, well, this kind of has this foundation, this has this foundation, but it all kind of falls under that like Mipso banner. Cool. It's really cool to see songwriters like having their individual voices coming out as in terms of how they're writing the music and then kind of picking up on each one and being like, okay, maybe they influenced this part. Sure. Maybe they did this. It's just, it's awesome to see bands that are clearly more of a collective than just, I write these songs and you guys play some instruments. Too. Right. Sure. Well, that's great to hear. That's what we were going for. So it's, it's <coughs> a huge compliment. Awesome. Thank you. Well, these guys are celebrating their album release of dark collar pop, uh, it is going to be tonight for all you listeners at the Hall River Ballroom. It's going to be a really, really exciting show. We're going to take a brief break. You guys are going to hear a live track from Mipso. You guys are getting ready to hear Red Eye to Raleigh. That is off of Dark Collar Pop. You're going to have a short break with a little bit of music, and then we're going to come back to talk more with Mipso right here on Carolina Grown. I'll take the Red Eye to Raleigh. Ring your doorbell at dawn. I can crawl back in bed, it'll be like I was never gone They say time heals all, that's the easy part Because it sure does hurt just waiting on a broken heart My broken heart, your leaving was the easy part And since then I'm just a body with a broken heart Since then, I'm just a body with a 
broken heart I'll take the red out of Raleigh Ring your doorbell at dawn I can wait outside and pray somebody's home They say to count your blessings Well, I know where to start And I can feel you with every beat of my broken heart WKNC 88.1. We are back on Carolina Grown. Still in the studio here with Mipso. You guys were listening to Red Eye Raleigh earlier. Had a little bit more music coming after that. And going to be chatting a little bit more with Mipso. A little bit about Dark Collar Pop, which is the album that they have just recently released. They are celebrating its release on Friday at Haw River Ballroom. And uh, this album you guys recorded in Chapel Hill uh, with Andrew Marlin for Mandolin Orange at uh, the Rubber Room. Um, how did you guys get together with Andrew, and what sort of influence did he have on this album? Well, Andrew is really one of our local heroes, and we've been um, following him for since Mandolin Orange has been a band, and in the last couple of years I've gotten to be good buddies with him and Emily from Mandolin Orange. And so we started talking about the idea of doing a new CD. We actually were talking in, I remember it was a, rain, it was a snowy day, it was whatever day it snowed last winter, <laughs> and uh, we talked to Andrew, met up for a drink, and talked about doing an EP. And we had the idea of kind of giving a, uh, a parting gift to our fellow graduating seniors of one last Mipsa recording that we could release in, in the spring. And um, so we started recording a little bit with Andrew, and pretty early in the process, he, he was feeling really good about it, and we really enjoying working with him. And he, he said, you know, guys, you might want to think about this rather than a, a farewell to your college community, more of a hello to the rest of the world since you're starting your lives as uh, musicians. And so we took his advice, and we... we finished up the recording of a full length, which ended up becoming Dark Holler Pop. Awesome. And I think his fingerprints are, are definitely on it all over the place. He was a, a great muse to us in the studio. And not only is an amazing musician, uh, which anyone can tell if they spent 10 minutes with him, but a really uh, just grounded guy who brings a great vibe to a recording session, which if you've ever recorded a CD, you know that makes everything to, has, has everything to do with uh, what the final product is, how you feel in the studio. Yeah, I can just, like, picture him just, like, mandolin slung over his shoulder with, like, sunglasses. <laughs> like, that's just, I see him everywhere, it feels like, and it's like he's always going to be doing something. It's like he, you guys were saying, you know, like, he is kind of like a local hero around here. It's like he, he does so much around here. He plays, we were talking about Shakori, you know, I saw them in uh, the band that they did. I can't think of the name right off the top of my head um, with a whole bunch of different locals. They had Jeff Stickley, um, Emily was playing in the band, and it's like, you just see them all over the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Mason's, Andrew, Mason's apron. Mason's, Mason's apron. That's it. That's, that's the Bluegrass side project. <clears throat> yeah, Andrews has an amazing level of output, and uh, whether it's formerly at Shakori or three nights a week when they're home playing for four hours in a row at a bar in Carborough, he's uh, he kind of has to be creating all the time. Yeah, and it, it definitely shows. Um, and and we, on, were, we were lucky that he was a guest musician as well. He and Emily 
along with a slew of other characters that Andrew dragged into the studio for us. We had uh, John Tiernan Chandler from Chatham County Line, Bobby Brett from Town Mountain, Chris Roselle from Big Fat Gap, and Phil Cook from Megafun. So we these are a lot of the bands that we've been watching really closely for for years now and have admired from the crowd uh, and listening to their records. And so f- for us, it was a really humbling and a great learning experience to be in the studio with them, sharing time and and these moments of insight about uh, how we could be doing what we're trying to do better. And they gave a lot of great advice on that. Definitely. And it's you see a lot of that, I feel like, in this local community. There's a lot of conversation going on between these artists. And especially when you see with a lot, I, you don't notice it as much on in the like indie rock community that we have around here. But a lot of the acoustic-based stuff, you see people featuring on their albums. And it's really awesome to see. Um, who, who's been your favorite person to collaborate with so far? Oh, man, that's a, you're going to get us in trouble if we answer <laughs> that question. <laughs> well, our most frequent one is Libby Rodenbow, who's our great friend and has been on every one of our recordings and um, is often featured really prominently in our live sets. And she's still a full-time student, so isn't playing with us full-time, but it's easy to identify her because of the frequency in which we share time both on stage and, and off of it. And it was it was all, it was all different to play with these guys. Like when uh, Phil Cook came into the studio, for example. I mean, he's a hero of ours as well, and we've been following Megaphone for a long time. And he brought his little two-year-old son with them, and uh, was hanging out and playing Woods bass and jumping around in the studio. So it, it was a little family affair, which was a lot of fun to have in the studio as well. Definitely. Um, and one of the things I've noticed uh, with you guys and the trajectory of your career in of how you guys got started is there's a lot of parallels between you guys and the steep canyon rangers um what what sort of relationship do you guys have with the steep canyon rangers if i'm not uh correct correct me um you guys played with them before you guys have shows coming up? we are playing with them in uh three weeks november the 15th at the cat's cradle we're opening for them and they're you know a lot of well, the Steep Canyon Rangers started at UNC. Most of them right. went to Chapel Hill. All but Nikki are from North Carolina, and now they live in the mountains, but they are around a lot. And Well, they're actually, they travel so much, they're not around a lot, but they're here via email and, and text message giving us support and advice, and we're really excited about the opportunity to play with them and have received a, a lot of great insight um, and feedback on where we're at and where we could be going, and it's going to be a cool moment. You know, we actually had never really hung out with all of them until IBMA, and it was maybe between 2 and 5 a.m. one night when we were in some jam <laughs> sessions together, and they're just the nicest guys. Despite their tremendous success and, and the trajectory they're on, they are as grounded as you could be and um, so willing and, and excited to help out other people who are following behind them. Which is always awesome. I mean, especially when you're like sitting here getting Grammys and you can um, still be humble enough to maintain a relationship with the local community that you came from. Totally. And I don't know if you've heard their newest album, but it's... It's awesome, and it's taken them in a different yeah. direction uh, than their last one, which shows a lot of confidence coming coming off of a Grammy win, and I think it's it's going to be awesome to see where they're at in the next couple of years, and, and it's so much fun to watch where they're at right now. Definitely. And um, aside from musically, uh, what if, what is some of the bits of either advice or, you know, like wisdom, so to speak, that you have taken from some of these collaborations? Like whether it just be like, oh, I see how you do your style. I'm going to implement some of it. Like what's what's some of the insight that you've gotten from this? I think an important lesson that you just pick up by osmosis sort of is that um, to be this good takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of years. And some of these guys we're playing with have this kind of, including Andrew and Phil and Chris and John and Chandler and all the folks we're playing with, 
they have this kind of um, effortless, amazing mu- music that just pours out of them, but it's only because they've been playing 10 hours a day for 10 years, you know. So uh, that's the lesson I hope we, we continue to learn from, which is just the hard work that goes into all that uh, good musicians do. And, you know, a big moment for us in deciding this is what we were going to do post-college was bits of encouragement from them that we ought to, because part of it is that this had been a part-time pursuit for us for a couple years, and we were excited about the success we'd had, but not sure if it was where we individually wanted or needed to be um, as a post-college move. And I think we were advised then and reminded now that this has to be a full-time pursuit um, and something that you're giving not just your musical life, but all of your life to their pursuit of it and, and there's so many people that are great examples of that definitely and a lot of that that full-time commitment comes through on dark holler pop um it it feels a lot more and not saying anything about previous releases it feels a lot more like fully actualized and there's a lot more uh depth into it um how long have you guys been writing the songs for dark holler pop i think uh it comes from all over the board joseph has a series of notebooks that he keeps kind of half-fleshed-out uh, ideas in. And I think some of them may have come from his years in middle school or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I think we started hearing uh, um, amongst ourselves, hearing some of the first bits of these songs uh, probably about this time last year. There's one song on the record called Squirrels that we actually recorded a demo for on uh, previous to our last release long long gone but we decided it wasn't quite ready to see the light of day yet that's right i'd forgotten that that song is almost it's one of our oldest songs so it's almost two years old but that one's definitely the exception and and that song too is an example because it's totally rearranged for this album but all the rest of them like we were saying earlier um if we wrote them new we wrote them with the other guys in mind i actually wrote um there's a song called when i'm gone that when i was writing i thought man this would sound really great with jacob's voice and so that that although I wrote the whole thing on my own, that directed what I was doing in terms of the notes I was choosing and everything. So it's almost like we each have our individual tools, being our skills and our instruments, what our fingers and mouths can do. But then we can we know each other's tools so well that that becomes a part of just the whole the whole thing we're working with. Totally. And having someone like Wood on bass with his jazz background really gives you a lot of liberty to go in unusual directions for the arrangement uh, as far as the instruments that we carry. Uh, he provides a unique insight in, into how to structure songs or how to just structure a harmony score. Yeah. Um, there's a, we benefit a lot from, from that. And I think it's, that's probably one of the things that separates us from other similar bands too is uh, the diversity and background as we're writing these. We're aware that they, we can take them in unexpected directions. And yeah, because with a lot of bands that are acoustic-based, you fall into a lot of the same four chord standards. Sure. And then you hear on some of the tracks in this, like I know I was sitting here on a drive I had back to New Bern this past weekend and you're expecting it and then all of a sudden you get that different chord change and it's like it just piques your interest and it's a really cool thing to find in bands like this because sometimes people are okay with not having that musical complexity it's like well this works it's been working this whole time so why throw in a crazy like diminished chord or something like there's no big deal but it's cool to see it's like it shows that you guys have put that that full-time effort into it and it's um a lot too with the songwriting uh it feels like it can equally be very personal and it can also be based on stories um how much of this do you guys draw from personally and how much it is just a a story created for effect 
Well, we differ in that regard as, <coughs> as individual writers. Most of my stuff comes directly from experiences or emotions that I've had and, and then try and, um, I guess, address in a way that can welcome everyone into it with not necessarily the goal, but the idea that the, we all had these shared experiences. You know, we, we've if one of us has felt something, someone else has felt something similar enough to be uh, tricked into thinking that you're writing directly to their experience. And that's one of the things I try for. But Joe has a great creative writing um, mind for not just for songs, for anything, and uh, can whip up some some pretty interesting stories of his own that are often based in, in a seed yeah. of reality, but not necessarily grown from that. Well, I'd say one example is the... The third track on the CD is called Louise. Uh, it's a song I had probably the most fun writing and is one of, one of the ones I'm most excited about. And it, it basically is a story of a, a couple whose farm fails somewhere in the southeast and they're forced to drive west across the barren southwestern desert to find the new place to start over. Uh, and that didn't happen to me. It's, it's something I made up. But Wait, what did you do on your gap year? Yeah, I was uh, driving through El Paso <laughs> and, <laughs> with my wife, Louise. Uh, but that's a good example of the the fiction involved, and that's th part of the great fun for it uh, for me. Like Jacob said, that you can make songs that mean anything you want. And that's the thing too is even that's one of the ones that I immediately thought of is you know it's it's so clearly not like you said like I didn't have this farm that failed and move across the country, but there's a lot in it that you can touch on and a lot of people can relate to, sure. despite the fictionalized base of it. Um, so what where do you draw some of these stories from, or is it just do you just go around looking at things and be like, that would be cool to write a song about? <laughs> well, uh, there, we have a, there would be a lot more stories, songs about kittens if I just wrote about <laughs> what I saw and liked. <laughs> yeah, the kitten album comes out 2014. Y'all get ready for that to drop. You're ready here first. Um, we have a great uh, kind of a songwriting mentor of us is, is Bland Simpson from the Red Clay Ramblers, who's also a uh, creative writing professor at UNC. And I've heard Bland say before that there's, there's only two types of songs. There's songs about love and there's songs about home. And sometimes that's the same thing. Uh, so you can boil it down to a lot of like core common themes that have been universal across all of popular music for all time and probably across all types of art for all time. And so when you, when you think about it as these big uh, ingredients, um, you know what you're working with there. And if you're, if you're working with these sort of themes, you can do a lot to vary them, you know? Definitely. And... Um... <laughs> One of one of the stories with the album that I've I've found enjoyable and humorous is how the dark color pop title came about. Um, can you can you share this with the listeners? We can share it. We can share a PG version. Okay, yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> well, you know Andrew and and his way of uh, relating. That's Andrew Marlin. Andrew Marlin. Yeah, any story. Uh, he's quite the entertainer both on stage and off, with or without an instrument in his hand. and We got used to Andrew cracking jokes on us when we were behind the glass recording, but so rarely had him on the other side where we could kind of get him back and get his initial thoughts immediately after recording. And we were actually recording Louise, and both Emily and Andrew from Inland Orange were on that. And after, I think it was the second or third cut, Andrew's voice came in and said, this is some dark collar pop, y'all. And we thought, you know... You're right. It kind of is, and that's a pretty uh, forthcoming way of describing the sound of the album and the ingredients we use and, and the irony of some of it Yeah, um, with a bit of a, a, a grin on our face. Yeah, there, there, there's a wink in there somewhere. <laughs> and speaking of um, Dark Holler Pop, 
I recently saw today that you guys have worked along with something for Dark Holler Hop. Now we're There's, talking about yeah. the real business. Here we go. I'm interested in this. Let's go into this. <laughs> well, it is every young person's dream to one day have a beer named after them, and we never thought it was going to happen. But uh, a local brewery in my hometown of Morganton called Fontaflora recently reached out to us and said that they love the music and were looking to collaborate with some local artists and um, were willing to try something different and wanted to have our full input on creating a beer that we thought represented the album. So we're it's called Dark Collar Hop. It's a black IPA. We got a sneak peek of it last week. We went by the brewery and it was almost halfway done. It's the first time I've tried an unfinished beer. More like a sneak lick. Yeah, sneak little. <laughs> uh, anyway, we thought it was great and we're really excited to have it. It's going to be at most of our release shows. They're making 15 kegs of it, which That's awesome. I understand. We had, we had to ask how much that was. We just don't quite have a concept for that much beer. We're like, was this all for us? Because maybe you don't. It would, it would fill this studio. Yes. Full of dark. IPA. Dark, <laughs> dark beer. <laughs> it's a, it's enough beer to have a lot of fun, and um, we're excited to have it at some of our shows alongside the album. So are you guys going to have it at the Hall River show? It'll be at the Hall River Ballroom. It'll be at our show at the Neighborhood Theater with David Holt on November 9th, and it'll also be the week before that on November 2nd in Asheville. And it's also going to be on tap at a local bar in Carborough called Second Wind and at Fontaflora in Morganton. That is awesome. Well, we are getting ready to take another brief break from conversation you guys are going to hear Rocking Chair Blues from Dark Holler Pop, and it is wonderful having these guys in the studio. We're going to talk a little bit more. You guys are going to hear a little bit more music, and thank you for listening to Carolina Grown. We will be right back. WKNC 88.1, we are back with Carolina Grown. I am still here in the studio with Mipso. Uh, going to talk a little bit more with these guys. You're going to hear one more song from them. Uh, we have been talking throughout the past hour about their new album, Dark Holler Pop. They are celebrating the release of that on Friday. That is today for you listeners at uh, the Hall River Ballroom. And it's going to be fantastic. They We were just talking about they're going to have a beer. Josh Moore. Josh Moore. Josh Moore in the house. What's Josh up? Moore. Like, that's, I can't begin to explain how like very disappointed I am to this point that I'm going to be a Mountain Oasis instead of seeing <laughs> like, um But uh, we're going to move on to... One of the things that has clearly been big for you guys, um, you were balancing full-time students and playing music for a while. Um, how have you seen the changes in your lives happen now that you guys are full-time musicians and out of college? Well, we're really grateful to UNC and Chapel Hill as being the place where we formed as a band and, and grew as a band, and we received so much support there from those two different communities that uh, we are where we are today, but it is so nice now to wake up and only be doing what we think is relevant to to our day-to-day -day lives, and uh, that's solely music stuff, and that's the biggest change is that now 100% of our energy and focus is just on creating and absorbing more music, and I think as much as we were able to accomplish in two years as full-time students and part-time musicians, we're excited and anxious to see how that translates now that this is our, our only pursuit and what we're giving every bit of ourselves to. Definitely. So this is this full-time now for you guys? This is full-time, yeah. yeah we, awesome. we live together in a little Mipso mansion out in the country outside of Carborough. And, um, yeah, this is, this is all we're doing. This is, this is it. That's fantastic. It's always awesome to talk to bands when they've gotten to the point where they can just dedicate themselves to music. Like it's... Yeah, and we, we were talking actually during the break when you listeners weren't around 
about how cool the scene, the Carborough and Chapel Hill music is, music scene is right now. And there's just some great people that we've been talking to, partly Josh Moore and the folks from Mandolin Orange, plus a lot of others. So it's uh, it's just an exciting, it feels like an exciting time to be making music where we're making it. And that includes the rest of the triangle as well. Yeah, it's especially, I like how each city kind of has their own sort of like centralized thing, but they're all open to all of the other sort of areas. It's That's what I love about the triangle. It's just so awesome. I had... um. Jedediah Gann here last week, uh, the organizer for Cook Street, editor for New Raleigh. We were talking about that too. You know, it's like this community, there's a local community in each of these cities, but it has blossomed into something that has become a local community that involves three cities. And it's it's just crazy to watch. And um, speaking of like these, these differing scenes um, with you guys having the full-time availability now, um, I understand that you guys recently toured in Japan and some shows in China. That's correct, yeah. How how does this go about? Like, how is this bluegrass scene overseas in an area that many people would not expect there to be bluegrass? It's a great question. That that really is the question <laughs> of them all. Um, there's a long and rich history of bluegrass and acoustic music in Japan, especially. And that's something I learned a lot about my my senior year when I was having a lot of trouble focusing on school. I had wrote a thesis on the geography of music. It was the only way I stayed remotely involved. <laughs> and it was about how bluegrass spread to Japan right after World War II. And I've spent some time in Japan researching just that and so had some unique connections to, as we're talking about how supportive the Triangle community is, a similarly supportive acoustic music scene that just happens to be halfway across the world. So we lined up a quick 15-day tour in Japan that – Started off with four nights at the fourth oldest bluegrass festival in the world, the Takarazuka Bluegrass Festival. It was in its 42nd year and had 130 Japanese bluegrass bands there. We were wow. the, the lone American warriors who would come over. And uh, we started there and then played five shows around the country, um, headlining with local bluegrass bands opening for us in smaller clubs and in larger cities than we're used to. So that was Japan, and, and while we were there, we thought, well, if we can get a show or two in China, we might as well hop over. We'll never be as close as we are right now. Right. So we, we went there for seven days and saw the Great Wall in Shanghai and Beijing and played some of the most unlikely shows and wildest shows we might ever play. It was quite quite the experience. And an awesome opportunity to let our music be the reason that we're traveling and, and living these lives and to see how full of an experience it can be and also to perform in a totally different situation where you can't communicate with your audience. Right. I was getting ready to ask you guys about the language barrier. Um, how much how much communication did you have with these local bands? Very little. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were lucky that a lot of these people who idolize the same bluegrass mission, musicians that we listen to and who have been playing bluegrass music for a long time, even though they're in Japan because they love this kind of music, they've been listening to um, music in English and studying English for a long time. So there was basic communication because if they didn't speak in English, we definitely didn't speak in <laughs> Japanese. So that was our hope. And we learned, um, you know, there's other ways of communicating <clears throat> and we learned how to take advantage of those via a shared song that we knew or talking about um, instruments using our fingers while we're playing them together or maybe shaking our hips a little bit. So we, we, learned, <laughs> we learned some different ways of communicating pretty quickly that helped us get by. It was really quite remarkable watching Jacob communicate without language um he, he there's, a lot of, there's a lot of kissing and feeling that's just to say that it, it you know that was my first time really traveling um to any extent and being immersed in a culture that uh 
not only is it not my first language, but it isn't a language that I can call my own at all. Right. Um, but like Jacob said, there is a really awesome way to communicate without language. And um, so what what sort of like rhythmic or melodic differences are there in these types of bluegrass music? Is it all sort of structured around this American bluegrass model or are there sort of nuances? Yeah, and I mean, even in the American bluegrass community, there is a rich tradition of of bands who excel at playing other people's music. And that generally is the case in, in Japan. There aren't a ton of bands that are pushing the boundaries or writing their own music. Um, a lot of it is more focused on recreating and playing a part in the rich tradition of kind of the first generation of bluegrass music. And that still holds strong, although there now is a younger, more progressive community in Japan as well. There's definitely a, a stronghold there of, of traditional bluegrass music. So in other words, there, there was a lot of older Japanese people who their whole goal was to sound like Ralph and Carter Stanley. They were really recreating note for note some of these early bluegrass recordings from the 1940s, which was wild to see, and singing in you know American Southern accents. That's it's crazy, and I'd imagine soon there will probably be like young Japanese and Chinese children playing like Mumford and Avett songs. <laughs> like it's it's crazy to think about, but it's it's awesome to. We actually not this year, but last year I was catching a subway train in downtown Osaka and saw an Avett Brothers Gap ad on this huge pillar, and one of them was holding a banjo, and it's like denim blue jeans, white Gap t-shirts, and a banjo. The Avett Brothers in Osaka, it's, it's pretty wild. I don't know if I've seen any Avett Brothers ads yeah. here in North Carolina. That's <laughs> Nor crazy. I. That's crazy. Um, so when I was first introduced to Mipso, it was through a song that you guys did not write. It was a uh, the Valerie cover. Oh, mm. nice. And it drew me in immediately. And you guys have... Where was that? Um, It was on the internet. Cool. It was on on the YouTubes. Right on. But then I, but then I was uh, stumbling around Tricori one night and heard it in like in the background, and I was just like, I know this. Who is this? And I like walked up. I was like, Oh, that's an episode Tricori. <laughs> and um, so you the the songs you guys cover. I understand you probably have some traditional covers as well, but you know, there's like Billie Jean, Valerie. What what's the process of choosing what sort of uh, non-traditional bluegrass songs to turn into these like rootsy type of covers the ideas themselves come from all over the place but doing the covers is one of the biggest uh most fun things that we do getting to take a, a piece of music and take it out of its context and, and bring it into mipso world and uh and if, if you can successfully take a song and surprise people with a new arrangement of it and make it sound like us and then that's a lot of fun and we've made it a kind of a tradition that our, our bigger shows over the last couple of years to throw in a surprise cover uh, just to see the looks on everybody's faces and get them singing along. And it's a great challenge for us, too, to take a song from either one of our favorite songwriters or most respected bands and re-envision, either try and perform it in a different way or, or if it's maybe a popular song that, that we don't approve of as much, take it in, into our own. And, and that can be a, a great challenge for us as, as musicians to learn more from their craft and also as performers and awesome opportunities to... Uh, catch people a little off guard. Right, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call Beyonce one of my favorite songwriters, but we did a Beyonce song because it was <laughs> I would. fun. Would, would. She's the queen bee. <laughs> so are, are you guys going to be pulling out any surprises at the Hall River show? Yes. Okay, that's all we need to know. Excellent. Can't, can't let the cat out of the bag. None of the kitten songs out of the bag. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
that's a good note to end this on. Um, because I don't know how I'm gonna draw anything back. To yeah, this, what, so what now? Kitten songs inside of bags. But closing things up with these guys, you guys are getting ready to hear another track that they've performed in studio with a couple acres greener. Um, that is the opener for that's right. Dark Holler Pop, which these guys are celebrating the release of tonight for all you listeners at the Hall River Ballroom in Saxby Hall in North Carolina. There's going to be Mipso-based beer. There's going to be Josh Moore with a full band. It's going to be incredible. Um, I'm really sad I'm not going to get to see this, but all of you listeners that get the chance to cherish it because it's going to be awesome. It's in one of the finest venues around this area. It's going to be an absolutely awesome time. Thank you guys so much for coming into the studio. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and you guys enjoy this take on Couple Acres Greener. You are listening to Carolina Grown on WKNC 88.1. Halfway home, oh. should have been a bomb in there. 
wicked winter just a couple acres greener when I go.